Hello and welcome to Dave's Music Room. I'm David Kavlovic. Pleased to have you as my guest again on this incredibly hot week in the middle of May in Ottawa. It's absolutely unbelievable and in some ways unacceptable, but there's not much we can do short of doing something about climate change. Hint, hint. Well, hopefully the music that I have, if you are in the middle of a oppressive heat wave yourself, and I don't think many of you are because this is a local phenomenon. Nevertheless, I should have music that should cool us down, particularly the first item on our show, which is set in a very dingy castle somewhere in Europe. Could be in Hungary because the opera is sung in Hungarian, but the legend that this opera is based on is French. I'm talking about Béla Bartók's opera, Duke Bluebeard's Castle, which is based on, or the libretto by Béla Balash, is based on the French famous literary tale by Charles Perrault, La Barbe Bleue, Bluebeard. It's quite an expressionist opera filled with moody elements, very much in the style of expressionism at the time, also very much influenced by Debussy, because Bartok was a big fan of Debussy, yet that element isn't often talked about. There is a familiar feel of Debussy, and especially his opera, Pelias and Melisande, in this one-act opera of uh, Béla Bartók, which he composed in 1911, although it wasn't really finished until about 1917 and wasn't first performed until 1918. The librettist Béla Balash, a famous poet and a friend of the composer, was also a good friend and school-time roommate of Zoltán Kodály. In fact, he wrote the libretto originally for Zoltán Kodály, but Kodai wasn't interested in the story for some reason. Guess he had other things in mind, but it's a perfect vehicle for Bela Bartok, who himself was a very inward focused man who had problems all through his life relating to people. Not that he didn't like people. He had a very successful marriage. His son and him were extremely close, but Bartok was definitely what we would now say neurologically diverse. So he had, I wouldn't even say they were issues, although he did feel like even when he was in company, he was a lonely man. Well, this can be seen, I guess, in his interest in the story, is Bluebeard a lonely man? There are a lot of symbolic interpretations as to who Bluebeard is. Could he even be Bartok, which is kind of uh, grim if you think about it, since Bluebeard is a murderer, whichever way you look at it. But I think that the interpretation of the story can be up to whoever is listening or reading the play or listening to the, uh, to the opera. So I will leave that up to your imagination. I will give you now the synopsis of the opera. Two characters, and only two characters, Bluebeard and his most recent wife, Judith, or Judith, but Judith in Hungarian. So, as the story goes, Judith and Bluebeard arrive at his castle, which is all dark. Bluebeard asks Judith if she wants to stay and even offers her an opportunity to leave, but she decides to stay. Judith insists that all the doors be opened to allow light to enter into the forbidding interior, insisting further that her demands are based on her love for Bluebeard. 
Bluebeard refuses, saying that there are private places not to be explored by others, and asking Judith to love him, but ask no questions. Judith persists and eventually prevails over his resistance. The first door opens to reveal a torture chamber, stained with blood. Repelled, but then intrigued, Judith pushes on. Behind the second door is a storehouse of weapons, and behind the third, a storehouse of riches. Bluebeard urges her on. Behind the fourth door is a secret garden of great beauty. Behind the fifth, a window onto Bluebeard's vast kingdom. All is now sunlit, but blood has stained the riches, watered the garden, and grim clouds throw blood-red shadows over Bluebeard's kingdom. Bluebeard pleads with her now to stop. Well, he was encouraging her to go on. Now he's saying stop. Ugh. The castle is as bright as it can get, and it will not get any brighter. Oh my goodness, the music at this point is incredible. But Judith refuses to be stopped after coming this far and opens the penultimate sixth door as a shadow passes over the castle. This is the first room that has not been somehow stained with blood. A silent, silvery lake is all that lies within, a lake of tears. Bluebeard begs Judith to simply love him and ask no more questions. The last door must be shut forever. But she persists asking him about his former wives and then accusing him of having murdered them, suggesting that their blood was the blood everywhere, that their tears were those that filled the lake and that their bodies lie behind the last door. At this, Bluebeard hands over the last key. Behind the door are Bluebeard's three former wives, but still alive. That's questionable, actually. Maybe they're zombies. You never know. Dressed in crowns and jewelry. They are dressed in crowns and jewelry. They emerge silently, and Bluebeard, overcome with emotion, prostrates himself in front of them and praises each in turn as his wives of dawn, midday, and dusk, finally turning to Judith and beginning to praise her as his fourth wife of the night. She is horrified and begs him to stop, but it is too late. He dresses her in the jewelry they wear, which she finds exceedingly heavy, her head drooping under the weight. She follows the other wives along a beam of moonlight through the seventh door. It closes behind her, and Bluebeard is left alone again as all fades to total darkness. It is an incredible score, absolutely phenomenal, and great to see staged, which I've been privileged to have seen. The performance we're going to hear is a very famous recording from 1965 for Decca Records, and it features the, at the time, husband and wife team, they did divorce later, Walter Berry and Christa Ludwig. So obviously Walter Berry is Bluebeard and Christa Ludwig is Judith. The London Symphony Orchestra is conducted by Istvan Kertesz, now, the opera is preceded by a prologue, either narrated or, especially in modern times, projected on the screen, on a screen, somewhere on the stage. This recording does not include that narration, but I think it is very important to setting up the music, so I will now recite this prologue. Well, the lights are out, still. Need I mention that many of you are thinking of your lives, your problems, 
not of Bluebeard and his wives. Listen, I must have your complete attention, ladies and gentlemen. Once upon a time, four words, but four that catch you, admit it. Once upon a time. The phrase is old, and yet it gives my rhyme the tempting of a half-open door. Ladies and gentlemen, enter. A realm waits you that without you cannot come into being. The realm of myth. Still thinking of your lives? There find them with new meanings. For our story is about you, ladies and gentlemen. You recall the story. Why? Because any tale that seems to teach us joy is brief, we remember. Why repeat it? Well, grief is always new, and so is your applause, ladies and gentlemen. Enter. Start the music. Raise the curtain. Put away your lives that you may find them low. Bluebeard's Castle. Soon you'll see. But you know the story, know the moral. Are you certain, ladies and gentlemen?
Oh, <laughs> 
what a most remarkable work. Incredibly atmospheric, one of the great examples of expressionism in music and one of the greatest operas composed in the first half of the 20th century. We heard Bela Bartok's one-act opera, A Keksakalo Herzegbara, or Duke Bluebeard's Castle. In that performance, recorded on November 1965 in Kingsway Hall in London, a great place for recording opera, both Decca Records and other companies, including His Master's Voice, recorded there. That recording featured Walter Berry as Duke Bluebeard and Christa Ludwig as Judith. The London Symphony Orchestra was conducted by Istvan Kertesz. Well, I think this is a good opportunity to remind you that you are not in a dark, dingy castle, although it might be cooler than sitting in an office slash music room in a heat wave in Ottawa. And I'm here to remind you that you are visiting Dave's Music Room. I'm David Kavlovic. I would like to hear from you from time to time. Please drop me a note, maybe a C-sharp, E-flat, doesn't matter. Send me an email to my email address and tell me what you think about things music-wise. The email address is kapustadave at yahoo.ca. Kapustadave, one word. You can find that email address embedded in the page you use to hear this podcast. And I would also like to remind you that every Wednesday morning, 10 o'clock to 11 o'clock Ottawa time, on Ottawa radio station CKCU-FM 93.1, I host a show called Music for a While. It is your mid-week, mid-morning coffee break, featuring more great music and recordings from my collection. Some people ask, how do I do this during work hours? Well, it's quite simple. If I'm in the middle of a meeting and it's time for me to talk, I tell everybody around me, shut up, I'm going on air. No, I don't do that. Of course, the miracle of modern technology, in radio's case, now going back some 80 years, this can all be pre-recorded, and that's exactly what I do. I pre-record the show, and then it's you know, broadcast at that time. Old hat. Well, where shall we go from here? How about taking into account good friends? My Bella me. Child of the sun and the sky and the deep blue sea, my belle amie. Après tous les beaux jours, je te dis merci, merci. You were the answer on all my questions before we're through. I want to tell you that I adore you and always do. That you amaze me by leaving me now and starting you. Let the birds sing for the man after 
first charted in March of 1970, Ma Belle Amie. No, not Ralph Bellamy, Ma Belle Amie. Now, you know, I kind of think that Duke Bluebeard did not consider Judith to be his Belle Amie. I think Judith needed to read the signs before she got to know the Duke. So 
was one of Julie Driscoll's great songs, Breakout. Before that, we heard Ottawa's own five-man electrical band and their famous hit, Signs. Both songs had great advice for somebody like Judith, who should have paid attention to what she was getting into, don't you think? Well, let's move on. Now, a little bit of a story here. In 1941, Russia was invaded by Germany. Germany had broken the pact it had made with Russia to not invade. Anybody who thought that that pact was going to survive was naive. And I don't think Stalin was that naive. He was just hoping against hope. I think one of the reasons why Germany was tempted to invade sooner than it should have was due to the fact that Russia's little incursion into Finland the year previous was a total disaster. Does that sound familiar? Well, one of the reasons why it was a total disaster, or an important factor, was that in the 1930s, Stalin became extremely paranoid that the military was trying to get rid of him, especially the generals. So what did he do? He had the best of them murdered. A classic move by a despot. That's only one reason, because historically it has been proven that the Russian army, as we are seeing, even now, is not as great as it thinks it is. And the fact that a nation like Finland, barely two million people in late 1939, early 1940, could fend off such a massive invasion is a lesson that the Russians seem to have not learned. Nevertheless, in 1941, Germany invaded, and they fell victim to the usual problem of invading Russia and Ukraine, winter and winter weather. Another factor to take into account is that a war fought on the grounds of those being invaded is a lot different than a war fought by invaders. In other words, a defensive war is far different from an offensive war. Russians were going to stand up and protect their land 
as much as they could, and they did, they lost nearly 20 million people. You could also argue that had the Germans succeeded, and they very nearly did, the death toll might have even been higher due to the fact that the Germans would have imposed their final solution, not just for the Jews, but for the Slavs there as well. But it also must be remembered that where the Nazis really got bogged down was on Ukrainian soil. Again, the lesson not learned by the Russians. Shortly after the invasion in 1941, Serge Prokofiev wrote a symphonic suite that he entitled The Year 1941. It consists of three movements, In the Struggle, In the Night, and For the Brotherhood of Man. The work, however, did not come across successfully at its first performance. I think, even with all that was going on, politics was still at play. Even as early as 1941, Prokofiev was falling out with the powers that be, thanks to people like Tikhon Krenikov. Even Shostakovich didn't think the work was worthy of the event he was trying to mirror. That is a rather strange thing for me uh, to think that uh, that was the thought, because I can't find a problem with the suite. I think that under the emotional state of mind of people at the time, yes, it's possible they might have thought it was a bit too weak, but on reflection, it's a very, very good piece of music, which is exactly why I want to play it now, almost as a thumbing of the nose to those who are forgetting about 1941 and are committing the same crimes, the same atrocities on Ukrainian soil as the Nazis had done in 1941. And to further emphasize this point, the performance of this suite, the year 1941 that we are going to hear, is performed by the National Symphony Orchestra of Ukraine under the direction of Theodor Kuchar. Slava Ukraini!
Serge Prokofiev's Three Movement Symphonic Suite entitled The Year 1941, Opus 90. We heard it performed by the National Symphony Orchestra of Ukraine under the direction of Theodore Kuchar. As I said, I think this work is far better than has been given credit, and I have a feeling that's become the general opinion. Oh, one final ironic point. Because the score sort of failed at the beginning, Prokofiev decided to reuse some of the music in a score for a film titled Partisans in the Ukrainian Steps. I think that's a movie that's not going to be shown in Moscow anytime soon, or anywhere else in Russia for that matter. Now let's finish on something a bit more positive. We've had a lot of seriousness in this podcast, and even the, the pop examples we had were a bit of a serious nature. Good quality stuff. Though. A few months ago, a few episodes ago, I presented a recording of Ferenc Liszt's transcription of Beethoven's Sixth Symphony, the famous pastorale in F major, Opus 68. I think it's time that we hear it in its original version and performed on original instruments. In other words, instruments that were from the time of Beethoven himself, which gives a completely different soundscape to what people have been used to with modern orchestras, although the period instrument movement has been very strong for almost 60 years now. The recording we're going to hear features the Hanover Band, a British ensemble named after a famous court in Europe that had a lot of musical activity, and it's directed by Roy Goodman. I'll just briefly say that this symphony was composed in 1807 and 1808 at the same time as the Fifth Symphony. Indeed, it's actually started before the Fifth Symphony, although uh, Beethoven finished the sixth after working on the fifth. There was a little bit of a break, not that that really matters. They were both presented at the same massive concert, so they were premiered at the same time. That's all I need to say about the pastoral. It's famous enough in its five movements depicting nature and the countryside. Let's hear this performance by the Hanover Band under the direction of Roy Goodman now.
A joyful and boisterous performance of Beethoven's Symphony No. 6 in F Major, the Pastoral, Opus 68, concludes this edition of Welcome to Dave's Music Room. We heard it performed by the Hanover Band under the direction of Roy Goodman. Well, that's it for this week. Now, if you don't mind, please see yourselves out, and I'm going to go jump into a bathtub full of ice water. It is so incredibly hot right now in Ottawa. But I complain when it gets very cold, too, so there you have it. Do tune into my Wednesday radio show, CKCU-FM 93.1, here in Ottawa, called Music for a While. Otherwise, I hope to see you here next time, same music room place, same music room channel. I'm David Kavlovic. Take care of yourselves. Thank you for listening.